0: The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning.
1: If you look at the Bible, there's really just one sin that Jesus can't stand.
0: I mean, he welcomes sinners and prostitutes and robbers and hangs out with them, openly welcomes them and has people make fun of him for welcoming them. But there's one thing that he just does not jive with. Jesus cannot get down with this type of behavior. And it's religious pride. Whenever he sees religious people acting better than someone or trying to mislead people, he gets angry. He flips tables for that. All right, so Joshua, I've got a question for you. Let's hear it. Guy comes to you and says, "Hey, do you know of any good preachers uh that would be willing to host a gospel meeting and you being one of the better preachers that I know, do you recommend yourself or not and why?" Oh man. So,
2: all right. So when I was at Freed, I had a teacher who asked me kind of that same question. They have a student speaking day at this church and uh he said, "Hey, I'm looking for student speakers to to come and you know, speak. Right. And do you know of anyone? And I said, yeah, I know of somebody, Mason Cothran. And uh, I don't know if Mason would listen to this, but he was sitting right behind me in that class. I was like, Mason's a good speaker. I've heard him preach before. He does a good job. And because I said Mason, they asked Mason, but they asked me too. They were like, well, hey, since you would ask somebody else and not say yourself, we're going to let you have an opportunity. And I went and had a good time, but man, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of think that if somebody asked you your opinion of someone else, like who would you recommend? Right. You, you they're probably not wanting you to begin with, or else they right. would ask you. So
0: Which is kind of an know. awkward that's kind of an awkward thing it to do. It is an right? awkward thing. If when you're even yeah. when you're finding speakers, right? Because you've been in that scenario where you're even trying to find speakers. Eli, what about you, man? What do you think? Somebody comes well, to you and says, I'm... Hey. Yeah, go for it. Go for it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just like a subpar speaker to begin with. There are lots of better options. (laughs) So, of course, I'm not going to recommend myself. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of like what Joshua was saying. It's kind of just awkward. If someone's coming to ask you for recommendations, they've either heard you before and they don't want you or they've heard too much of you. So they're looking for someone else. So, obviously, I can understand that. we're all batting for well, For me for the it's same never team, it's right? never
0: the second option, right? It's never that they've heard too much of me, right? There's there's no way that's the case. Um but uh, no, I see what you're saying. And Josh, I think I know where you're going with that, Josh. I'll let you finish the thought. I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to fill in your thought. You say we're all part of the same team, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're all batting for the same team. So if somebody comes to me wanting to know, "Hey, do you have any recommendations for preachers that could do a gospel meeting or speak a summer series?" I'm going to tell them the people that I think are top notch right. in my mind, you know, cuz I want them to have a good meeting or a good series, and you know, uh, I I will. I, pride is part of it, you know. People, right. I think, who mention themselves, yeah, um,
0: and that could be kind well, of a that could be kind of two ways, though, too, right? Because most of us, at least for myself and Joshua, we're preachers. Eli's a youth minister, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's hard for us sometimes to kind of take a step back and realize that there are people out there that are way better at this than we are. Right. But at the same time, we really enjoy doing this. Sure. Right. You know, you, you get, you know, you get that opportunity. It's, it's one thing, but when somebody asks you, you know, who would you recommend? Or, um, my favorite is when they, when it gets even more vague, right. When the, somebody will come up to you and be like, Hey, you know, any good speakers? And it's like, are they, are they hinting that they want me to do it? Or is this like them honestly trying to find somebody else, Um, so it's, it's all, the reason I brought all that up is just because uh, I happen to be scrolling on Facebook and this popped up in a youth ministry page, right? And, uh, you'd be surprised how, how much of a debate this stirred up about whether or not you should or shouldn't recommend yourself to go speak somewhere, which, uh, I just thought was, was really interesting. Um,
2: well, to our preacher friends who are listening, the, what little advice I could give, I would say, if someone asks you to recommend somebody else, Recommend somebody else, but you can also very gently and lovingly and carefully say, "But you know, I I would if you're looking for somebody, I'd be interested in doing that. Maybe you
0: keep in mind. You know, there it's not necessarily what you say as much as it is how you say it." I get that. I think the closest I've ever come to that is, uh, you know, I think occasionally I've been in a place where somebody will make the comment, man, you should really come down and speak for us sometime. And I'm like, man, anytime you want to call me and let me come down, I'd be more than happy to. But it's one of those things that you don't just walk in and be like, Hey, elders, when are you going to ask me to to come down and, and speak for you guys? But, uh, As fun of a conversation as that could end up being, that is not the bulk of our conversation today. So we have a totally different video and topic to discuss, uh, but this is your content warning, right? This is a Bible Meets Culture podcast where we break down biblical content versus modern theology. As always, myself and Joshua on with us today is extraordinarily special guest, Eli Mann, youth minister of the Greenfield Church of Christ, um guy who swore he'd never come back to West Tennessee, now he's here, gets married in like how many months now? Is it like three? Was uh, it just three, four? June fourth, so three and a half months. So close. To, to no longer being single and doing whatever he wants whenever he wants to do so.
1: so yeah, I spend you. my money on fun stuff anymore. So. I
0: know, right? So I got to ask because this got brought up, right? We're recording this on what happens to be a Tuesday evening. Um, for those of you that don't live in around the Jackson, Tennessee area, um, you kind of know where this is going. But Eli has a very specific uh, event that takes place every single Tuesday night. Are you still going to get to do that when you're married? Or is, you know...
1: He, uh, maybe She has made it sound that I will get to go on Tuesday nights to Jackson. Uh, okay, so, okay, I got gotcha. you. For anybody
0: that's trying to figure this out and scratching their head, I promise it's nothing illegal or inappropriate. Uh, depending on how you define inappropriate, um, but it's nothing bad. I promise. It's a it's a game that a group gets together and plays at a, a classic game shop in in Jackson, Tennessee. Anyway. Um, but guys, as we kind of get into what our conversation is today, uh, our video comes to us from a guy who, uh, I forget what his handle was uh, on Instagram, but it was like that dude with good news or something along those lines, which I thought was was super interesting, makes this comment that there's only one sin that Jesus gets really, really worked up about, just the one. Uh, and believe it or not, it's not lying or murder or adultery or... I don't know, whatever else you could think of. It is religious pride. It is the only sin that Jesus really just adamantly gets worked up about. And so I wanted to get your guys' initial thoughts on that. Your guys's, Your guys'. You guys'. You guys'. What a I Yankee. Your, I, tell me about it, man. I don't, don't let anybody from here listen to this. Um, that and my not overwhelming love of sweet tea, they may send me. Send me away. Um, but I we'll wanted to get you. your yeah right. I wanted to get your opinion on this right that there is only one sin that Jesus deems to be something that is worth uh, getting His blood boiling over, and that being religious pride. What are your, what are your initial thoughts there?
2: I understand where the guy's coming from. I mean, when when Jesus speaks his harshest in the Gospels, it's usually toward Pharisees or Sadducees, uh, who are promoting some kind of doctrine that isn't appropriate, right, or yeah. or that's taking something appropriate, like taking law and then bringing it to the next step. So, for example, uh, I preached last Sunday night from John five about the guy being healed at the pool of uh, Betzotha and yeah. he he takes up his mat and walks, and then the Pharisees get mad because he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath, right, and that was work. Well, right. nowhere in the old testament, you know, nowhere in the law does it say that carrying your mat was work. But people later thought, well, we better define some terms here and figure out what's work and what's not. Right. And that was one of the things that was. And so there's a big spill about that. And and Jesus, yeah. you know, Jesus talks to to those people in very harsh ways. But the mistake that I think our guy in the video today makes is It's almost like because Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes that he accepted what they were doing and didn't want to correct them.
0: Yeah, and so here's the thing. I want to do put a caveat on this or a little asterisk because, and it took me, don't get me wrong, if you're watching the video, you may have missed this. If you're solely listening to this as a podcast, you definitely missed this because it took me three or four times watching this video before I realized in this really tiny little fine print while he's talking about how Jesus was eating with sinners and that there's only this one particular sin that really riles him up. And like little tiny captions down here in the bottom corner, he puts a, a note that says that, uh, you know, Jesus was not okay with all sins, but this one is the one that really worked him up the most. So I don't want us to kind of Paint this dude in unfair light, saying that there's really only one sin that d- Jesus disagrees with. Um, the the I t- be honest, one of the bigger things that I and this kind of depends on how you define your terms. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the bigger things that I thought about in this video was I actually disagree with this premise um, that I believe Jesus speaks more harshly about hypocrisy specifically than he does religious pride. And as Eli pointed out before, we were kind of on the on the podcast. Eli, you can elaborate on this if you want to. Um, generally speaking, especially when you look in Scripture, hypocrisy and religious pride are like really overlapping concepts, specifically within that Pharisee Sadducee sect, I guess at the time. So, you know, maybe you're splitting hairs there, maybe you're not. Uh, but that was that was my initial disagreement with him uh, until you know you kind of think through things.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a huge part of it, is that these religious leaders of the time had the hypocrisy and the religious pride. It's not like they were separate and apart from each other, and hey, the Sadducees had one, the Pharisees had the other. No, they were both steeped into both. But I also think that kind of looking at how Jesus is addressing people, you know, he addresses other sins. It could also be Jesus saying... Okay, this gentler approach works for people who aren't steeped in religious culture. But no one talks to these Pharisees and Sadducees about their sin. And if they do, it's probably in a gentle, meek manner. So maybe they need something to call their attention, and that's going to be someone being blunt with them, being a little more forward than most people would be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Different people call for different approaches, right? You do the same thing. Um, I've only got one child. Eli and Joshua have none, obviously. I say obviously, like that's obvious. You know, it's obvious to the three of us anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, you even do that with children, right? You don't, and that sounds really crazy to say, but you don't raise both or all of your children in the exact same specific manners, right? Sometimes a kid needs a spanking however frowned upon by society that may be. Sometimes uh, you take me and my brother, for example, my brother needed a little bit harsher punishment, right? Because my parents could look at me and use that dreaded phrase, right? I'm so disappointed in you. And that was more than enough to get me to change whatever attitude it was that I had. My brother, on the other hand, needed a little bit more convincing. Uh, I guess that's how you would, you would phrase it that way. Um, But yeah, I, I, think that's a really valid point, is that uh, Jesus interacted with people based on what their needs were. And quite frankly, some within that religious community needed to be, you know, needed a little bit more convincing, as it were, um, as opposed to maybe some of those that recognized they were sinners, um, but were still coming to Jesus, right, and looking for the answers, as opposed to that religious sect that thought they had all the answers already.
2: I was always taught that a good sermon should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think that's how Jesus has his style. You know, he th- those who are afflicted in life, those who are sick, the people who are outcasts like prostitutes and drunkards and, you know, the, the, the bad people in the world, Jesus had a message of comfort to them. Come to right. me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then to those who were comfortable, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the governing authorities and things like that, he had an afflicting message. And, and so, you know, we're taught when we learn how to preach and do ministry, know your audience because what mm-hmm. your audience is, is how you're going to respond and, and how you're going to design your lessons. um, and, and so I think Jesus is the master at that. And, and again, you know, uh, maybe like, like you say, Nathan, giving this guy credit for, you know, saying, "Well, we're not saying that Jesus accepted sin, right?" But it does seem to me that he makes sins more important or or more drastic than others. Yeah, for and sure. I have a problem and that's, with that?
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right, but that's a that's a problem that we see everywhere. Right. I mean, that's like that's like a massive societal problem is this idea that uh, some sins are worse than others and I mean, quite frankly, you know, not throwing stones at a glass house or whatever it is, quite frankly, the church is the worst about that. Uh, When you talk about, you know, trying to put sins on a pyramid, you know, mm-hmm. per se or account, you know, I always so this is my thing um because I'm a huge wing person, like chicken wing person, um I've always used the illustration that church specifically likes to make uh like a wing chart of sin. Like you've got your mild like baby spice sins all the way up to like your big burners um uh, you know straight to hell type sins mm-hmm. and I think this guy in the video, um, doesn't do a good job of clarifying that, you know, there's not a quote unquote acceptable sin. Um, but you know, that's just kind of a problem that we have. Why is it? Why, why do we have that particular problem?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with the cultural punishments that come for certain offenses. So, you know, for example, um, Right, wrong, or indifferent. If we, if all of us were to cheat on our spouses, we probably would not go to jail for that. We would, we would get, maybe get divorced or have to go to counseling or whatever, but we probably wouldn't go to jail and we wouldn't have any legal repercussions from that. Um, if you tell a little white lie, you know, that, that won't land you in jail probably unless you're lying about something illegal. But I think we equate morality to, to the legal standards of our culture and consequence rather than God's standard of holiness. And, and I think that gives us a big disconnect.
0: Yeah, I think you're right for sure. Um, I knew this was a, a, this, this was always like an especially difficult challenge working with, uh, youth and Eli may agree or disagree with that, but trying to get people to understand the concepts of, um, you know, sin, and consequence, while there is a correlation there, um, the bigger the consequence doesn't necessarily mean the bigger the sin. Absolutely. Right? Um, yep. You know, for, you know I, I got to work with a, a high school couple, love them to death. They're working through a lot of things right now, but, you know, they got pregnant when they were in, both in high school, um, you know and there will be some that will listen to this and probably debate this, but, you know, the idea of that sinful relationship happening for months and months and months at a time never seemed like a big deal until now all of a sudden there's a very physical, tangible consequence that comes from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, at that point, It wasn't a, you know, and I feel like we forget that, right? And I think we treat sin like that a lot. Uh, And, you know, as a teenager, I know we did. As working with teens, I know it was something that was difficult. But uh, sin isn't sin until there's a consequence because of the sin. Um, That mindset is something that's really kind of hard to debunk. Yeah, The
2: church is really good about um, highlighting cultural sins that are like in your face in the culture. So, for example, now... Because of our culture being the way it is, Um, sexual sins are really at the forefront of a lot of sermons and articles and, you know, Bible classes and things like that. Uh, Gender issues or gender dysphoria, things like that. Those are really at the front. Um, But then, you know, I'm an Old Testament guy. I'm an Old Testament nerd. So like the big sin in the Old Testament is violence. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, when was the last time I sat down and watched a really violent movie? Like probably last week. And I didn't think anything about it. Right. Right. I'm not saying that watching a violent movie is sinful, but I'm saying that the categories of sin and, you know, like social injustice and violence and things like that uh, opposed to or in comparison with sexual sin you know, yeah, we'll talk about sexual sin all day long in church because we assume that our members don't have problems with it, which is another right. issue altogether. But, you know, we we probably would be more comfortable preaching against sexual sin than we would be preaching against social injustice because that may be something that we have well, a big problem with.
0: You know, think about it, and this is a, this is another topic for another conversation, but think of it this way. Um, you know, I'm in in rural West Tennessee, Eli's in rural West Tennessee. Uh, You're in Middle Tennessee, where, demographically speaking, you probably have, I would guess, 70, 30 believe in your God given right to bear arms versus not. Uh, And you start talking about, you know, preaching, you know, the difference between protection and violence for the sake of violence and how we've kind of, uh, you know, cowboyed this glamorous look when it comes to uh you know carrying firearms and what we're supposed to use those firearms for and uh, you know that's a that's a much harder conversation to have depending on where you are in the country uh than something like you know sexual sin uh and that's one of the biggest things that and I used to use as a parents all the time it drives me absolutely insane so like I'm gonna Eli, let's play out the scenario you've got uh you've got two parents uh two dads that come to you. Uh, one of them says, hey, my son just told me that he's struggling with same-sex attraction uh, toward another you know, guy uh, in the youth group and he wants your help. The other dad comes to you and confesses that in a weak moment he cheated on his wife. Now, if you take both those scenarios to, uh, maybe not necessarily your eldership because I don't want you to get in any hot water, but if you take those scenarios To 99 out of 100 elderships, which one of those scenarios do you think is probably going to be viewed as worse?
1: That's a really, really good question. Right. Um, It shouldn't be. Like, it shouldn't be that difficult of an answer to give, though. Yeah. My gut answer would probably be that the father who cheated, they would probably think of that as the worst sin because there's more of a chance that that becomes public right. because that kid that's struggling with homosexual desires is he he obviously wants to keep it private and wants to talk and so that's why he and his dad come address me instead of acting on those desires right and so that's more likely to stay private than the sin of adultery and yeah. so that adulterous relationship would probably be the one that got more attention from the eldership yeah
0: See, but it shouldn't be that hard of a question to answer, right? Like you yeah, right. would now not, Let me let me back up for a second. Both of those scenarios need to be met with, with genuine care and compassion. Okay, I'm not trying to demean either one of those scenarios. But most of the time, when you look at those things from an optics point of view, within the church traditionally, that teenager struggling with homosexual tendencies, a lot of times is going to be looked at worse than the dad who messed up and cheated on his wife the one time, and they're trying to work things out. Right. Even though one is a sin, one's not. Right. There's, I, unless you guys want to argue that tem- being tempted is, is, is sinful in nature, which we can have that conversation at a, on a different podcast as well. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's more of a cut and dry answer there than there should be, or at least what is traditionally, uh, you know, frowned upon. Um, and it can well, be that way with, with, Tons of things, you know, um, is you know which which is viewed worse by a congregation: the the teenage girl that gets pregnant, or uh, the parents that had an affair with another member of the congregation. Um, you know, all of these things work their way into. And the point being is that sin is sin, uh, but we've created this idea that there are some that are worse than others. Um, to the extent that we're perfectly content living our lives with some sin, as long as it's not "quote unquote" big sin,
2: mm-hmm. which yeah.
0: that's a I whole mean, other problem.
2: It, well, you know, it's it's interesting to read. Of course, we talk about this verse a lot and in, and kind of ingest, which I think is an absolute tragedy. But Revelation twenty one eight it's a very serious verse.
0: Well, and, well, we VBS did. That was our problem. We VBS to yeah, Revelation twenty-one yeah. eight. Well, and that's- you know,
2: I I like I like the idea of what VBS tries to do, but goodness, VBS messes up a bunch of Bible.
0: Uh, <laughs> so if you're listening
2: to this and you've put on VBS, don't mess up the Bible.
0: Oh man! But
2: you know, Revelation 21.8, I mean, there's Definitely. all these all these sins, a sin list. These people who commit these sins, and it ranges from thief to liar. To right. sexually immoral, I mean, it's all of it lands you in hell if it mm-hmm. hasn't been dealt with by the blood of Jesus, and that's, of course, that's the good news, right? That the blood right. of Jesus is the cure to all of this, right? Um, well, okay, can can I shift us? Shift. shift
0: gears. All right, shift all you want, man. All right, all right. So as, long as you stay within the realm of the topic, right? Well. <laughs> Kinda, we're we're good at that. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah,
2: we like to chase. We're really
0: good at that, aren't we?
2: It's within the realm of the topic of the video. We'll put it that way. Okay. All right. Religious pride.
0: Okay. Is there
2: a sense where we, as Christians, should have religious pride? Because it seems to me that this guy is basically just saying, like, if you're going to be a Christian, don't be proud about it. Like. Right. Be a Christian. Do it over here in the corner. And it seems like he's a religious person, you know. But right. it's this idea that this oh, love all of his and content is religious and, content. So that's yeah, okay. Well, so
0: here, here we go. This is this is where, and I actually so this is kind of funny because I actually talked about this Sunday morning in Bible class, right? Um, we as Christians get nervous to use the word pride for two reasons one we view pride as a sin like it's it's sinful to be proud right and that's kind of the idea two is quite frankly because of the way the LGBTQ plus i left out some letters um, community treats the word pride and we want to distance ourselves from that those are the two main reasons so the definition of pride is there's there's two big definitions here A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction um, derived from one's own achievements um, uh, or the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated. All right. So a bit of a difficult definition there. The second one is consciousness of one's own dignity. Um, And when you look at those, there are bits and pieces of both of those definitions that Christians should be proud of. if we're going to be closely associated with God, we need to be proud of the accomplishments or what God has been able to accomplish despite our own weaknesses and failures. Um, you know, we are dignified in Christ, but I think we want to distance ourselves from that proud. I mean, we all talk about, you know, um, not being ashamed of the gospel. Well, you know, that opposite of, of ashamed could be, you know, translated as, as being proud. Of the gospel, but we really don't like that particular w- phrasing or wording. We prefer to use things like uh, how grateful we are or how gracious we are for for God and His Word.
1: Yeah, the the way that I like to think about this is kind of think about it how you would approach uh, people or you know relationships is that you want to be around people who are self confident. You don't want to be around people who are proud or arrogant. And there's right. a difference there. And yeah. so I think we need to have kind of this self-confidence about our faith and be able to wear it on our sleeves and be able to preach it and not be afraid of that identity. But we don't want to have that pride or arrogance where we say, oh, we're holier than thou because right. we are Christians.
0: Yeah, that's so, that fine line, right? It's that confidence, yeah. not cocky.
1: Everybody knew that kid in high
0: school or college that was cocky instead of just being confident. And you can tell the difference. Uh, and I mean, Eli, to your point, uh, I don't think it's that hard for the world to tell the difference between a confident Christian and a cocky Christian. Um, you know, there's just, there's a, there, there's obvious differences in the two. Um, but I I do like that. I like that being, uh, I like that idea of being confident. Um,
1: and again, I think a lot
0: of it just has to do with, trying, I think we, and we've talked about it before, right? Without trying to stray too much is we see something from a secular perspective. And so the church's natural instinct is to jump all the way to the other end of the spectrum.
2: Yeah. Well, the Bible is its own best commentary, right? So uh, you already mentioned Romans one 16. Uh, I'm not ashamed of right. the gospel. Um, so you, that's, it's kind of a, not really a double negative, but it presents that idea. So I'm not ashamed. He could say I am unashamed. Right. right? Or I'm proud of the gospel. Right. I, I boast in the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And in... But then Galatians 6, 14, Paul says, but may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and out to the world. So, in one sense, he's glorying, and he's boasting, and he's prideful, and in another sense, he's not. Right. The question isn't the issue about pride. It's what are we prideful in? Right. And Paul is prideful in the gospel, in the cross, in Jesus. That's his identity, not in his own self or the world or anything right. like that. That's, that's a big key. And another key is that when Jesus talks to these Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, we talk about the the Jews and what it meant to be a Jew. Well, there was no such thing as Judaism, right, at that point. It was Judaism's with an S. You had all these different divisions of Judaism. You had the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, uh, you know, the list goes on. And they all believed different things kind of like today. You look at Christianity. There is no Christianity. Right. There's Christianities. You have Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Church of Christ. You know, whatever. And right. as much as we want to say that we are undenominational, and I agree with that, the right. world does not view us that way. So yeah, yeah, we
0: we've talked about that in this particular podcast before, right? The way that we use the term Church of Christ, quite frankly, we've denominationalized that term. Um, so I'm
2: going to boast in the body of Christ. I'm right. going to boast in the saving blood of Jesus. That's yeah. my personality. That's who I am. And, and you know, the Pharisees boasted in their religion, but they thought they were right. And if right. someone ever comes along and tells me, Joshua, you know what? You're wrong. And here's where the Bible says, then I will stop boasting in that area and start boasting in a different one. Yeah. Right. So it, I, 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 have, I have a little bit of reservation about saying, well, Christians shouldn't be prideful. Because it seems like Paul was.
0: Yeah. Well, and so I think that kind of goes back to, I used to tell this to teens all the time. um, And I want people in church to realize this, that you're special. You are very special. You're unique. There is not a single other person on the planet that is like you. However, you're unique and special and great. And it's not because of anything that you did, right? It's because you were created and designed that way. Like you are this wonderful, amazing person and it has nothing to do with you. Um, which, you know, is is a foreign concept to a, a culture that is incredibly individualistic and prides that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh and I, I you know, I very rarely do we ever find something that we just disagree on. But again, we're on the same page again. Um, so unless Eli wants to disagree, which is more than more than ha- I didn't tell him that he was allowed to disagree
1: before he came on here,
0: but you are more than welcome to disagree. I'm allowed to do that you are you are allowed to oh. disagree this is well uh,
1: I, I don't but anyway ah, well
0: <laughs> so i tell people i forget i forget to tell people occasionally that you are more than welcome to disagree sometimes it's actually even encouraged as weird as that may be um to say but no i get where you're coming from the idea of being pride uh being being proud of being a christian without you know having that overwhelming or, or glaring sense of of pride um I mentioned well, how much sermon. of being a
2: Christian should be shoved down other people's throats. I think that's kind of where he's coming from, too.
0: So, that, too. And so here's the thing, right? So uh, we talked about this. I forget the the exact context of it in the Bible class that we sat through recently together, Joshua. But I told you that uh, the teacher was talking about what I call the the Lowe's uh, complex that a lot of Christians have. Uh, so if you've ever been the Lowe's, you know how like every single aisle is kind of dark. And you almost have to like squint to see things, except one aisle. There's one aisle in Lowe's that you feel like you got to put your sunglasses back on when you walk down it. And it's the lighting aisle. And I think oftentimes Christians like to be lights in the middle of the lighting aisle. And when people walk through that, it can be overwhelming. The issue is, is we weren't supposed to be lights in a lighting aisle. We were supposed to be lights of darkness. Um, And so people need to be able to see and recognize that from us without being for lack of a better term, beaten over the head repeatedly um, with this, you know, overly, uh, overly zealous Christian "better than you" mindset. Because um, if you start that, you've you've already put yourself behind the eight ball. Um, yeah, I so, don't think you're going to argue anybody
2: into heaven. You you have to if you're going to have an argument, it needs to be in a way where that you're seeking truth, and truth yeah. is going to lead you to.
0: To well, there's a difference between there's a difference between so I, I tell people this all the time. There's a difference between having a conversation, arguing, and providing a defense for your faith. Those are three very separate categories. Conversations and providing a defense for your faith are good. Arguing is incredibly counterproductive. Yeah,
1: uh, I had, a, I, I had a
2: student recently turn in a paper and uh I teach Christian ethics at Faulkner right now and we're talking about abortion and death penalty and you know, the, the hot button issues and um, w- she wrote a paper on abortion and she said, I'm not so whether I'm against it or in favor of it, I'm not going to shove my beliefs down somebody else's throat because I'm a Christian. And maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I commented on her paper and I just asked, why not? Yeah. You know, if you believe that that is the morally right thing, why not tell somebody about it?
0: Yeah. And again, it goes back to how you're going to tell somebody about it, too. Well, sure. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like most of the time that's supposed to go without saying, but I don't want that to be the one moment where somebody new comes on and is like, yeah, this guy's crazy off his rocker. Um, you know, but it, it all goes back to how you're going to tell somebody about that, too. Well, how many um, times
2: in Scripture does Jesus just point blank tell somebody something? Yeah. Usually he asks questions. and yeah, sense. he really throws people him. off that way, too. It's Absolutely. really kind of funny. Yeah.
0: Um, he really throws people off their game when he does that too, which is really interesting. Um, One other thing that he mentions in the video, so we'll actually get to a couple more things here, but this is the one thing that he mentioned scripture, like the only time he mentioned scripture specifically. So if you have ever noticed, a lot of these videos that we do contain some, you know, scriptural references or whatever. He only mentioned one. Um, and he makes the comment that, you know, that religious pride is... The basically the 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 what, what's that phrase? The hair that'll break the camel's back, or the straw that'll the break straw, the camel's yeah. back, the straw that'll break the camel's back for Jesus' religious pride. And then he makes the comment that Jesus flips tables because of this sin. And so I went back and I read, and so I'm be the first one to admit that there are people out there far smarter than myself. So Eli Joshua, by all means, feel free to correct me. I assume that he's talking about John chapter 2 which is Jesus cleansing the temple when it was the Jewish or the Jewish Passover's near and Jesus went to the temple and he fashioned whips and he flipped tables and you know we get this really that's a really fun picture for us for for a lot of people right is this idea that Jesus is this angry table flipping, you know, uh, you see that I I say, you see people might've seen this meme all the time on Facebook that just says, you know, uh, you know, just remember, uh, that if somebody asks you, what would Jesus do? Um, flipping tables and throwing people out of a church building is an acceptable answer. I like that Um, meme. Right. So it's, it's one of those things. Uh, but you guys are going to have to correct me on this. I have yet to find anything in here that mentions or alludes to religious pride being the issue that led to Jesus cleansing the temple.
2: Yeah, I I would not. I thought the same thing. I would not call it religious pride necessarily. Um, I'm trying to find that the Jesus flipping the tables and cleansing the temple happens in every gospel and every gospel has a different way of portraying it. Um, I'm trying to find
1: was there a particular reference that he made to a particular book on the story? I can't remember. No, uh, no, no. I mean,
0: like I said, I could go back and watch the video.
1: Maybe somebody caught it, but I don't
0: remember. Or uh, I mean, I watched that video probably seventeen, eighteen times. I never saw like a a scriptural citation for which one he was referencing. He literally just, you know, said, "This is the sin that makes Jesus flip ta- or Jesus flips tables over this sin." Uh, I think is how he phrased that specifically. So, um, yeah. So in one of the, the gospels, Goms.
2: and I'd have to go back and look, but right before Jesus turns the tables over, um, he passes with his apostles by a fig tree and the fig tree is dead. And he, Jesus is like, well, what sense does that make? A fig tree should produce figs. And so he, well, no, it's the fig tree is alive and it has no figs. And right. Like, well, it's, it's alive. It should be producing figs. And so he curses right. the fig tree. Well, that is an example that's a, that's a foreshadow for what he's doing in the temple. The temple is supposed to be a place where there's spiritual purity, where where there is a, it's a house of God, it's a place of worship, it's a place of cleansing. But that wasn't happening and the people were right. making a mockery out of the temple. So honestly, I would say it's not even religious pride. It's the lack of religious pride that Jesus yeah. was talking about. And or
0: it's the, the lack abuse. Of, Yeah, I would say my 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 brain, if I can get the words out, my brain kept going back to um, not even a lack of religious pride as much as it is a lack of reverence. Yeah, Um, I I think the reverence is the big key and there's just not any there. And so, you know, Jesus is going in and, and, you know, basically saying, listen, you're manipulating
1: what this is supposed to be used for. uh, And that's not okay. Yeah. And you look at who he was throwing out. It was people who were either selling uh, animals for sacrifice or exchanging currency. And from the way I read it, it makes it sound as if they were making a much higher profit off of this business than they should have been. And so it's kind of opens up this conversation of, are people just taking advantage of something and turning this place that's supposed to be holy, supposed to be this place of religious pride into a business for themselves. And that can be a whole nother topic in and of itself. So, yeah. well, I mean, that's why
0: you see people get all finicky about, you know, uh, things like the, the one that comes to my mind, you see people get real finicky about, uh, like if the church has a cell phone antenna on its property and you've got a company that's paying the church to use the cell phone antenna on its property, um, you know, that's the church being in business and making money. And that's, that's a big no-go. Um, I'll
2: tell you a bigger which, one than that. You oh, ever have a guest it. speaker come in who's written books? and he tries to promote his books. He tries to
0: sell Dude, I only invite preachers in that are trying to sell books. Well, give um, me a call, dude. It was it was only the one time I tried it. So <laughs> maybe that'll tell you something. Uh, but yeah, no, I I used to do that. Uh, in fact, you know, um one of my professors right now, Ryan Fraser. Um shout out to him. He's got a great book out there called Overcoming the Blues. We tried to invite him to come down and speak um as part of his book tour promoting that uh, you know, way of using um, both, uh, both your spiritual life and, and psychology to overcome depression. And he was like, you know, if I come down, I'd really like to sell books. I was like, that's, that should not be an issue at all. In this particular instance, it wasn't, there were other things that led to him not being able to come, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, I, yeah, that's always yeah, funny you get That for sure. Well, and it, it, to me, it's always funny. And again, we're going to get off topic here, but it depend like it, to me, it's always funny about depending on the book, right? Like if a preacher comes in and wants to sell his book, that's wrong we invite somebody to come in from like, and again, nothing wrong with these organizations, but if we get somebody to come in from like GBN or uh, Apologetics Press or Gospel Advocate, those books are fine to sell. Yeah, it's just the preacher that is just you know publishing his own thing. That's that's the line that we have to draw. Anyway, yeah. that's well another that's thing. Here's text, text
2: in John two that you kind of have to go behind the text to see is when you start reading in verse 18, the, the Jewish leaders are responding to what Jesus is doing. Right. They don't ask him why. They they ask about his authority. They say, right. what sign can you show us since you're doing these things? Jesus is yeah. he's doing this in the temple. Well, who gave you the authority to come in and do this, you redneck from Galilee? And Jesus says that the temple will be destroyed, and in three days he'll raise it up. They're like, well, this thing's been in construction for 46 years. How in the world are you going to raise it up in three days? right that he was going to because it was his body he was talking about his body right and they just couldn't get that so the the issue here isn't religious pride it's yeah. Jesus setting himself up as the new temple cleansing the temple you know if and by the way Je- think about this Jesus is going to offer himself as a sacrifice right, right. where do you offer sacrifices the temple yeah you, and the temple has to be cleansed in order for the sacrifice to be valid so um, i I like to draw this along with the sacrifice of Jesus, you know he cleanses the temple as the great high priest so he right. can offer himself as the perfect sacrifice,
0: yeah no absolutely good points um and that last kind of point that he makes in this particular video, and again, this is something that you might have missed the first time, uh, and if you're listening to this, you didn't see it at all um Again, trying to give this guy a little bit of credit where credit is due. He does mention here, uh, again, in like the little tiny subcontext down here in the little corner. um, He says, uh, grace covers this sin for sure, but this is the one that Jesus gets especially riled up over. Um, And so I think that's, again, it kind of goes back to the idea of whether or not, uh, you know, he is ranking sin. Uh, but uh, you know, again, to give credit where credit's due, he does mention that grace always plays a factor in this. Now I would be willing to bet based on watching some of this guy's content that he believes, uh, you know, grace is, is probably more abundant than, uh, than we would. And so here, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. This is always good when you try to start a new thought right in the middle of a podcast. Um, There's a fine line between placing limitations on the grace of God and accepting what grace will and will not cover. Does that make sense? Did I say that appropriately? Yeah, I think so. Um, So, yes, grace will cover religious pride. However, we talked a little bit about this in my Bible class on Sunday. Pride is one of those sneaky sins that can almost be fueled by overcoming other sin. So like, let's say, for example, you really struggle with lying or pornography or alcohol or whatever it is, and you're in the midst of a situation and you overcome that sin. That's fantastic. And in the sense of you overcoming that sin, you start to feel really proud about yourself. And now all of a sudden, this idea of you becoming a better person has led to this really dangerous concept of pride. And now what you thought you were overcoming is actually leading to different sin, which is a really interesting concept when you think about it. And pride is just a really sneaky way. Um, It doesn't manifest, like it doesn't show itself as being sneaky, but the way it manifests itself, I think, kind of is subtle um, at times. Um, but the idea of religious pride being covered by grace, yes, up until a uh, up and until a point where, you know, you're no longer penitent for said sin. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. When you take the emphasis off of Jesus and start putting it on yourself, like look how good I am, right? That gets you nowhere, right? It's only it's only through the blood of Jesus that we even have fellowship with God and and honestly with fellowship with each other. That's what First John one seven says. So. Right. it's, It's all about, it has got to always be about Jesus and his saving work and what he's done for us. Absolutely. Eli's being awful quiet.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to kind of form the connective tissue between a thought that I'm having and where, uh, i'm at so i like that form the connective tissue just talk he's, to you uh, something
0: to say that's what he's we do. getting married to a teacher too not even a nurse like that was is it because of your thumb is that why you you've got this connective yeah tissue i don't to...
1: know if y'all have noticed this but i have a little thing on my thumb because i lost a fight with my refrigerator so um that's perfect yeah but anyway sorry not to yeah. not to get way sidetracked here no it's all good um so we all agree that the kind of the key issue here is that the pride is causing them to not be uh, penitent about their own pride. They might overcome some other sins or temptations, and that kind of fuels into this other pride. I think kind of where I come from and why I see why Jesus gets so kind of riled up about this particular sin I guess the the best way to kind of look at it and kind of where my mind goes is to John chapter eight, when Jesus is dealing with the woman that's caught in adultery. Um, Because we see this woman dragged out into public, embarrassed and ashamed, and they trap Jesus by saying, hey, what do we need to do with this woman? And, And Jesus handles that situation in the way that he knows best. We don't entirely know the situation, but says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone and people start walking off. And so at the end of that kind of conversation, uh, Jesus looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemn you, condemned you? And she says, No one. And then Jesus looks at her and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Mm-hmm. And we, when I was at Faulkner studying this, one of my professors said, uh, and this has stuck with me, is that Jesus accepts you how you are but that doesn't mean that he doesn't expect you to change. Right. And so I think that's kind of the situation we find ourselves in with these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders, is that they've come to Jesus, they've come to God, they're at his feet. God has accepted them exactly how they are, but they have refused to change. Mm. And so that's kind of where I think that this is at, is Jesus is kind of there, and he's like, you guys are so close, you guys are right here, and you have the opportunity to do exactly what the Father, exactly what I am asking you to do. You are right there, but you've tripped at the finish line. And I think that's why Jesus gets so riled up about this, and why it's such a big deal to him, is he's saying, you can get up, and you can finish this, but you're refusing to. Yeah. One of the, uh, I, I, this, this will kind of be, if anybody, if, I
0: don't know if either one of you have watched the the series, the chosen, which to me is obviously anything that gets taken, you know, and done up in like a theatrical type way, you have to take a, with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I think it does a really fantastic job of displaying the humanity, um, of, of Christ and, and the apostles. And it's, it's really, really, really incredible. Um, but one of the particular episodes uh is is a scenario where um Nicodemus, it's the, it's where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Um and and whether or not, and there's actually there's some debate about this, whether or not this happened or not, but there um Jesus uh in this interaction with Nicodemus at night asks him to follow him. He says, Hey, leave everything and come follow me, be part of this group that I'm coming with. Well, you see a scene the next morning um, where Nicodemus is kind of hiding off to the side uh, and he's left this bag of money with a note that just says uh, for Jesus or or whatever it is. And it's, you know, pretty substantial amount of money. Nicodemus was a man of wealth yada 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 and and Nicodemus wants to watch and make sure that this money gets into the hands of Jesus' group and you can see him uh crying like he's torn because he doesn't want to follow it and you see Jesus kind of look around for him and and make the comment you were so close my friend um but you know they they move on without him um and so it was a really interesting scenario that's what that made me think of Eli it was this idea of People who are willing to follow and people who are not willing to follow. And I think, unfortunately, what you will find most of the time is those that suffer from religious pride uh, are going to be the ones 99 times out of 100 that are just not going to relent to their ways. Um, you know, I've met uh, fellow preachers who say, I'm just not going to study certain things because I might have to change my mind. Um, and, you know, me personally, not a great mentality to have uh but if that's the if that's the way you choose to live life then you know I don't know that I can force you to change that but uh i think that that's pretty much the case i don't want to leave anybody here thinking or with the impression that uh that we're arguing that this is not something that jesus appeared to get pretty riled up about right like this is this is absolutely a sin and a problem that still exists today that jesus Kind of took that extra step in speaking out against religious pride hypocrisy from religious people, and so on and so forth okay um so don't don 't misunderstand us in the sense that we're saying well no this wasn't a big deal to Jesus because all sin is equal no all sin is equal and this was a big deal to jesus um so like just want to be sure we clarify that and make sure that we haven 't gotten somebody really worked up in the middle of this podcast going they're they're really demeaning this um you know, Jesus did very much care about this, uh, for sure. So, well,
2: it seems to me that the the cure or the antidote to religious pride, as as he's laid it out, and as we've talked about it, is humility and and being humble in Jesus. And you know, like you said, there's a big virtue in being willing to change your mind, to be corrected, to repent. You know, all of those call them virtues, principles, whatever, that Jesus came to lay out. You know, right. that's that's the key, and and I think humility is a big part of that.
0: 100%. You know, it's that idea of—I actually saw an article the other day. It's the idea of living by the fruit of the Spirit, um, and I actually saw an article that somebody posted that said, stop saying fruits of the Spirit, because um, yes, there's points there's one fruit of the spirit that just manifests itself in all of these different qualities. Um, so all of those things are things that I think are the cure for, you know, really any, anything at all. But, uh, but yeah. Well, my wife so is a nurse
2: that... and she has told me several times, cause I'm on this diet where I don't eat sugar and I don't eat a lot of fruit. I, and she I tells terrible. me all the time, she's like, no one got fat eating fruit. And I, I've used that in classes before talking about the fruit of the spirit. You know, no right. one went to hell on a steady diet of the fruit of the spirit. Right. It's all maybe on live, religious man.
0: pride, but uh, maybe on religious pride, but never on the, the fruit of the spirit, you know, the way that uh, the way that we want them to. But anyway, anything else before we you going? I know it's about time to wrap up. It's always the most depressing part of the whole podcast is when we have to wrap it up. It's just not fun. But anyway. Anything else, Joshua? You you good? I'm good, man. Joshua's always trying to say something. So no, as soon as I've, I I've talked so way here's, too much. here's what's going to happen. So for those of you that are just unfortunately not going to be able to hear this while you're listening at home, what is going to happen next is I'm going to ask Eli if he's got anything else. I'm going to tell you all bye. I'm going to stop recording this. And we're immediately going to launch into a conversation about whether or not John chapter eight is actually in the Bible or not, or should be no. or shouldn't be. <laughs> I was really worried you would not even bring that up. No, that's so that's that's where the that's where the next conversation is going to go, and it'll be awesome. And you all unfortunately will not get to hear it unless we decide that we're going to write a whole, we're going to do a whole nother podcast on this. So anyway, Eli, do you Comment have anything else nervous, before we your, get? Comment, yeah, below, your comment views. below. Should should John was it? Should John seven fifty three through John eight eleven be or not be in the Bible uh, as we have it today? And then I'm going to go ahead and ask, is it wrong to teach John 7:53, 8 through 11? If you believe that it's not in the Bible, or you should you refrain from teaching that? Because um, I have different opinions than probably most on that particular topic. So there is your homework for the day. Eli, you got anything else before we get going? I think I'm good. You think you're good. Well, that is awesome. So guys, as always, thank you so much for being on. Joshua, I know you're a busy guy. Eli, I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you being on. Um super excited to to have both of you to get the chance to do this. We're going to keep posting these every month because, you know, we're preachers. We have nothing better to do, right? Um, that's just, we work three and a half hours a week. What else yeah. are we going to do with all of our free time?
2: Where are you, um, getting,
0: the, where are you getting the extra half? That when, uh three and a half that Sunday afternoon session between elders meeting. So you have the hour Sunday morning, right? All You've right. got an hour Sunday night. Um, you could stretch it and say you've got, you know, an hour for Bible class, an hour for worship, an hour, uh, you know, Sunday evening, and then the half hour can be Wednesday night or like the, you know, afternoon meetings that you have to go to, or, you know, the, the one visit that you make a week, um, you know, all that good stuff. These are all, uh, sarcastic cliches about preachers. Do not take any of this seriously. Um, all that being said, thank you guys. If you want to check us out, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, really anywhere you find your podcast. Just search the Content Warning Podcast. Look for the little yellow exclamation point. It is awesome. If you're ever in West Tennessee, I would love to see you at the Troy Church of Christ. I'm sure Eli would love to for you to crash his party at Greenfield Church of Christ. If you're ever in Middle Tennessee, specifically the Rutherford County area, uh, Salem Creek Church of Christ is right there on the side of the highway. Just don't venture off too far into that neighborhood behind because you'll get lost for days. It's literally just circles back there. It's crazy. It's true. Uh, but anyway, until next time, guys, thank you so much.